Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name, and we thank you, Father, that we can assemble together as your people to worship you, to sing your praises, to give thanks to you as the God of our salvation, and to rejoice that the work that you have started in us, you've promised to bring to completion till the day of Christ's return. And we do ask that your Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, would graciously work among us, opening our minds, our hearts to receive the living and abiding and nourishing word of God so that we might grow in our faith and in our love and in our devotion and service to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we take any sort of English word and add the prefix anti to it, we change the root meaning of that word. And the change is to oppose it or to be the opposite of or to be instead of or against the original sense of that word in its meaning. Like anti-abortion or anti-freeze or antidepressant, or antibacterial, or antibiotic, or antiseptic, or for those who are getting older, anti-aging. Most, if not all, of these antis mentioned, when they're utilized in the world, to some degree, they are helpful for those who rightly use them and support them. However, in a passage that we read in 1 John, John writes about an anti-Christ being in the world. And he speaks of it as to its essence, that it is indeed something that opposes, something that is against, something that is the opposite of and instead of the true Christ. And it is spiritually caustic. And it is deadly to those who utilize it or espouse to it. And that's why he gives this warning here in verse 18 of chapter 2. He says, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. Well, it's the obvious question at this particular point is this. Who and or what is Antichrist? And if we recall the syntactical prefix of anti and add it to the word Christ, we find out very clearly that Antichrist is someone who is opposed to, who is opposite of, and instead of, and is against Christ. In other words, the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist is an antagonist. It is a rival. It is an enemy of God and his word. An enemy of Christ. And John refers that Antichrist is not only just comprised of controversial and uh, adversarial, if you will, or opposing thoughts against Christ, 
but it has loyalists, men who sharply oppose Jesus Christ and the truth about Christ that is found in Scripture. In fact, John teaches us in this passage that even now many antichrists have arisen. And yet John also states to his readers that they have heard that antichrist is coming. And so, from what John has told us so far in this passage, there are already many antichrists that are in the world. But there is also an antichrist coming that has not yet been revealed. And from these statements, we can surmise that there are recognized forms of teaching that come from this spirit of Antichrist, and it's coming from men who are teaching it. But there is also a personification of Antichrist that is yet to come into the world, that is promoting far more wicked teaching and rebellion against the Christ. In regard to this spirit of Antichrist, the Lord Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 24, in verses 4 and 5, and then in verses 23 and 25, these words. See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And then verse 23 and 25, he says, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. And through our reading there in 1 Timothy, we read indeed that Paul gives a similar warning of apostasy, where he tells us in verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars. Well, with this being said, we think that possibly this is all theory at this particular point in time in our minds because we, though we may experience some of the teaching that is going on in the world that is contrary to the truth of the gospel and of Christ, yet are there any biblical examples? And there are. There are actually two found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 10 and verse 14. The one is, is identified as Demas, and he leaves the fellowship of believers because he loves this present world. And he has removed himself from the fellowship of believers. The second one in verse 14 is Alexander the coppersmith. 
And he has directly opposed the teachings of Christ that have come through the Apostle Paul. And therefore, we should not be surprised by John's words here. For Jesus himself teaches us there in Matthew chapter 13 in his parable of the wheat and the tares that indeed, though there is the good seed of the gospel being spread and that he is the one who is sowing that good seed so that it bears fruit in believers' life, there is also an enemy. And we read that it is Satan who sows tares bearing deceptive fruit in those who live in unbelief. And when asked by his workers during this time of this peril, should we go in and pull out the tares that are among the wheat? Jesus says, no, you should let them alone until the final separation takes place when the tares will be gathered up and burned in the fire and the wheat will be gathered into his barn at the harvest. Well, we can see then that indeed this spirit of Antichrist was there present during the time of John's writing. It is present today and it will be present even through this time period of grace. But then he also brings out this personification of Antichrist that is to come. And Paul has a great deal to say about it. If you'll turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 3 through 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us about this man of lawlessness. And it's in the context of what he says there in verse 1. He says there to the brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, this is what's going to take place before then. He says, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. He goes on and he says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to the, an end by the appearance of his coming. And then he describes who this man of lawlessness is 
And who empowers him? Verse 9. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. This is the one that indeed is to come, and he is to be energized and empowered by Satan to deceive those who do not come to the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. With someone coming that is all so powerful and such deception that is already in the world because of this lawless teaching that is against the gospel and against the Christ, how are we as believers to protect ourselves from such diabolical enemies? Well, I think he gives us the answer here in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 20 and following because he tells us very clearly for the every true believers, that they have the anointing of the Holy One and that we know. What is this anointing, this, this anointing of the Holy One so that we know? Well, it is the anointing and the sealing of the Holy Spirit that comes in every believer's life. He comes to take residence, to indwell us forever. He's the one to whom Jesus referred to as coming when he goes. He will not leave us as orphans. He will send another comforter. In John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and verse 26 of that same chapter. Also in chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, and chapter 16, verses 7 through 14. He is what is called here by John as the paraclot, the paracletos, excuse me, the Holy One, the one who's called alongside to help. It is the person of the Holy Spirit that teaches us and helps us to know the Word of God and to remember it in the context of the life that we're living in this world. It is He who enables us to abide in Christ and, and gives us grace and help to keep the Lord's commandments. It is he who convicts the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment. It is this same spirit of truth that is guiding us into all the truth that is found in Christ Jesus. And it is he who glorifies Christ in our lives because he guards us from the errors and the deceptions that are in the world today. This anointing of the Holy Spirit not only guides and directs believers into the truth about Christ, but it also gives us, within us, because of His indwelling, the ability to detect the lie from the truth. It's almost like we have a spiritual, as Jim Boyce talks about, a spiritual lie detector where we can know the truth 
and discern the lies. I remember a professor of mine in my homiletics class uh, during my undergraduate study. He said to me at one point in time as we were talking and meeting about a class, he said, one thing's for certain, Steve. If you know the truth, you'll always be able to pick out the lie. If you know the truth, you'll know when someone is deceiving you. And that's a good word for each one of us. As Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. He goes on and he says here that this anointing that God has given us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is to help us stand against the liars. And who are the liars? Those that deny that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 23. He says, this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. To deny the Son is to deny the Father. But the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Therefore, a person cannot say that they believe in God while they deny that Jesus is the Christ. And as the Christ, he is the Son of God. And all other religions in this world which deviate from or reject or deny the teachings of Christianity that tells us that Jesus is the Christ of God fall into heresy because they deny that the Jesus of Nazareth is the Jesus that lived among us a perfect and sinless life who sacrificially died to pay for our sins and has gloriously resurrected from the dead and is at God's presence and is coming again. To deny this central truth is to deny God's plan of salvation for you and for me. And it denies the plan of God for lost sinners. In John's second letter in verse 7, he gives this warning once again. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the Antichrist. So we not only have this indwelling, this anointing of the Holy Spirit to continue to guide and direct us into the truth of God's Word and to help us to live in that righteous truth for the glory of God, but we also have the very Word of God, which he brings out in verses 24 through 27. He says to them, As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What he's getting at here is this, beloved. 
the very truth that we have had at the point of our conversion that led us to Christ is the truth that we need to abide in. It's the truth of the gospel that had compelled us and propelled us by God's grace to have put our faith in Jesus Christ at our conversion. That same truth is just as true today as it was when we were first saved. It's God's honest truth. And it not only saves us from our sins, it is the very word of God that sanctifies us as saints. And we need to let that divine truth abide in us. That same truth that was ours at the very beginning. You cannot let You cannot let God's truth abide in you if it is something that is only sitting on your desk. Or it is something that indeed you look at for a brief moment before you run to your schedules. To allow God's word to abide in us, we must study it. We must meditate on it. We must learn how it applies to our lives each and every day. God's word is indeed, as the psalmist said, that lamp unto our feet, that light unto our path as we walk in a dark and dismal world of lies and deception from the Antichrist, that spirit that is now working in the world. We need to be people of the word. And therefore, let God's living and abiding word that brought us to life in Christ continue to wash over us and cleanse us and continue to grow us up in that faith walk so that we do indeed follow Jesus, our Savior. Because when we do, we actually pass, if you will, the doctrinal test of what it means to really be a believer in Christ. Do not let anyone try to deceive you into thinking that what you receive from God and his word through Christ is not the whole truth. It absolutely is the whole truth. The absolute truth. There is no other truth. But also remember that this truth is not just for believers. Because it is objective truth for every person who lives in the world. It is factual. It is something that we can bank on. It is something that others need to hear. You cannot go up to somebody and have them say to you, well, that may be true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. That's a lie. That is a rebellious lie because the truth of the gospel is for everyone. And that statement, it may be true for you, but it's not true for me, is an absolute uh, denial and rejection that God's truth is objective truth for all people. 
and by the standard of God's truth, all of us, both the saved and the unsaved, will be judged at the end. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And that's why in 1 Timothy, as we read that passage, Paul exhorts us in verses 7 and 8, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily discipline is only a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. John's statement here is, take that which you have been taught and that you're learning and abide in it. Because as you abide in God's truth, you will abide in Christ and in the Father. In closing, I wanted to bring up John's own words here in his third letter, which I think has great application for us today. He says here in verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy, no greater joy than this, to hear my children walking in the truth. May we, by God's grace, be abiding in the truth of God and abiding in Christ and abiding in the Spirit that is teaching us and guiding us the Word of God. And may we trust in it for what it truly is, the life-giving, eternal life-giving Word of God so that we may bring glory and honor to our Savior, both now and for all eternity. Amen.